Our sermon text for this evening comes out of the Gospel of Matthew. It's just five short verses, verses 21 through 25 of Matthew 16. It reads like this, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord! This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Father, I pray that you would speak your word clearly through these lips tonight, that hearts would be cracked open and that you would do your work of restoration. Father, I pray that as we fellowship here tonight afterwards with dinner, that you would create good relationship and good conversation. May all the rest of what's done here tonight glorify your name, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, so you know that we are going through, I think if you've been here before, a series called What If, in which we're dealing with just sort of some of the anxieties that we have as, uh, as people living in a place like New, New York City. Uh, the first week we talked about where those what if questions come from. Where do those, where do those sort of spring from? And we found, we found out that it's really from uh, worry, it's from a sense of anxiety and uh, just uncertainty about our world. And then last week, my friend David Williams from University, uh, my partner in, uh, at work with, the, with grad students there, uh, preached on the what-if problem of um, what if they find out I'm faking it? That was the question at hand. What if they find out I'm faking it? And tonight, what we're going to be talking about is what if my dreams don't come true? What if my aspirations, my goals, the things that I'm working so hard for don't actually happen. I don't know if there's a place more driven by hopes and dreams than New York City. I know that's a bit of an, a bit of an obvious statement, but it's just true. Um, I've told you many times before that in my first year here, before we had a church, before we had anything really going... I had to get to know people, and so I would just go out and talk to strangers on the streets. Some of those strangers I met are here tonight. Um, they are no longer strangers, thank God. They are friends. But uh, I didn't know anyone when we moved in, and so I would talk to people all the time. And uh, what I found out, besides the fact that almost everybody living in Manhattan didn't grow up in Manhattan, found that out very quickly, is that basically people in the city here, especially in Manhattan, I think it's different than other boroughs in many ways, um, they can kind of be lumped into two categories of people. Uh, not everybody, of course. I don't want to just, you know, broad brush. But there was really two large groups of people I met. The first group were people that had just moved here or were still pretty new to the city. And they, when they thought about the city, had lights and excitement and anticipation about the future. They had moved here either to go to school at NYU or Juilliard or Columbia or Baruch or wherever it was, 
or they were here to get into the arts, they wanted to be an actor or a musician, or, or they wanted to work in finance, but I mean, it's all here, it's all in the city, and some of the people I meet, a good number of the people I meet, talked about the excitement, the hopes and the dreams that they had for this city and what they could do in this place. That's what drove them here. They wanted to be here because, to use the old stereotypical quote, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? So this was what drove them to this place. But then there was a second group of people I met. And the second group of people I came across here in the city were those people that moved here with many times the same goals and the same aspirations and the same types of hopes, but had experienced failure. Things hadn't worked out the way they had hoped. These people's perspective was vastly different, as you can imagine, from the first people's perspective, especially about New York City. In some cases, they still wanted to be in the city. They'd say things like, I can't imagine living anywhere else. You know, you hear that, I can't imagine ever moving away, ever living anywhere else. But in some cases, they wanted out and didn't feel like they could get out. And I remember one man I met in a cafe here, I had just moved into Manhattan, it wasn't long, and I had struck up a conversation with him and it went like an hour and a half. We just really got to talking and he opened up and shared with me and, and it, was, it was really an incredible story. He told of how five, six years earlier, he had really had his dream accomplished. He had made it. He opened up a barbecue restaurant in the West Village and was getting great reviews all over the place in papers at the time and on the internet. I mean, this is before Yelp could like destroy everything about a restaurant in a day. You know, this was like he had everything going for him. He got married to a beautiful woman and they had a daughter and everything was great and by the time I met him the restaurant was closed the wife was divorced from him and the child was gone couldn't see his daughter anymore and he looked at me in the eyes it was like the last thing he said to me he said Eric this city exists for one reason to edit out the weak ugh is brutal. One group full of so much optimism about what can be, and one group so burned that they can only say, see what once could be, but is no longer possible. Both of them based around the pursuit of one's dreams. If there was any apostle, any disciple of Jesus that was absolutely driven by his dreams and his aspirations, it was the apostle Peter who we just read about. Uh, throughout his life, you see him uh, constantly trying to go above and beyond the call of duty and proving his devotion to Jesus and his commitment to the cause. And yet at the same time, you see no one more than Peter's hopes fall to the floor time and time again. And so this leads to the question we're going to try to answer tonight, which is, uh, what if our dreams, our goals, our aspirations, what if they don't come true? And we're going to do this by discussing the potential goodness of our dreams, secondly, the potential problem with our dreams, and thirdly, the God we need over and above our dreams. So first, the potential goodness of our dreams. Let's just say something up front that's obvious. It is great 
It can be great to have dreams and hopes and aspirations. They can be a wonderful gift that can accomplish some amazing things in our world. There is part of what the celebrity says when they're receiving the award at the Oscars, the Grammys, or the Emmys, or whatever it is, and they say, believe in your dreams. You know, just do whatever you can to accomplish it. There's part of that, and you say, yes, that's good. That's admirable. I mean, mankind always dreamt of flying, and eventually, they built an airplane. Mankind always dreamt of going to space, and eventually a space shuttle was created. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamt that all people would be treated equally in our country, and though we still have work to do, eventually state-sponsored segregation fell because of his work. And I could go over example after example after example of somebody who had a dream of people who have had dreams, and great things have been done. And this ability to dream is really, it's a reflection of our being made in the image of God. I mean, this separates us from other species, you know. It's something unique to us as humans. We can envision a future for ourselves and then make plans to work to try and ensure that this future happens. And sometimes we can get pretty darn close. That's an amazing thing. Dogs don't do that. Other species don't do that. I mean, I've got a dog, and he sits there all day thinking, and I guarantee you he is not thinking about his 401k. He is not thinking about his future. But we do. This is something that separates us. It's something that is a mark of us being created in the image of God. That we can think about a future, envision it, and then work towards it, and maybe even get closer, sometimes even accomplish it. And so for this, we can give our friend Peter some credit, right? I mean, over and over throughout his life, he shows evidence of, of being a man with big hopes and aspirations for him and his crew with Jesus. He is often the first one to speak amongst the group on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus literally reveals himself in his divine image in a, in a way that no one can seem to really take in. It's so bright and glorious. Peter's the first one bold enough to speak up with plans for their future. Hey, let's build a home right here. Let's just stay right here. Let's market this bad boy. Of course, those plans were rejected, but he's a dreamer. On the night Jesus is arrested, in spite of Jesus predicting that Peter will deny him three times before the night's over, Peter confidently declares, though they all fall away. Imagine how happy that must have made the rest of his crew. Though all of them will fall away, Jesus, every one of them, not me. You can depend on me. I will never deny you. Indeed, a little later on, when they do come to arrest Jesus, it looks like Peter is going to fulfill his promise. If you remember that when Jesus was arrested, what does Peter do? He pulls out a knife and he tries to fight off the guards, cutting off one of the, one of the arresting soldiers' ears to try and try and defend Jesus. And yet, what Jesus said would come to pass. Later that night, Jesus, Peter would deny him three times. So here's the deal. I mean, there's part of the mentality that Peter displays that can be good. And I don't want in any way to give the impression here tonight that your dreams, your aspirations, your goals are in any way whatsoever inherently bad. They can be used for great things. You should have goals. You should have aspirations. You should have dreams. Good for you if you do. I'm glad you do. 
But there are potential problems with our dreams. And that is, oftentimes, they become idols. What do I mean by idols? Martin Luther, discussing the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, that's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments said this in his large catechism. He said, a god, quote-unquote, is the term for that to which we are to look for all good and which we are to find all refuge in all need. Therefore, to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in that one with your whole heart. As I have often said, it is trust and faith of the heart alone that make both God and an idol. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say that is really your God. If not checked, our dreams, our plans, our hopes, our aspirations can become the thing we live, we live for, that we breathe for, that for all intents and purposes, that becomes the thing we bow down to, that we worship, that we'll do anything to accomplish. You want to know why so often you hear about people that seem to be once good people, they seem to be straight shooters that end up doing horrendous things in order to get to the top. You want to know, you want to know why that happens? Because they made their dream an idol. See, anything's possible. When, when your dream becomes an idol, then you'll do anything to accomplish it. What is that thing in your life? Is there something in your life? Is there a dream? Is there a goal that consumes you? For Peter, his aspiration was to be Jesus' right-hand guy in his kingdom. But his problem was he misunderstood what kind of kingdom Jesus would have. He didn't get it. He expected that Jesus was going to conquer Rome and Caesar and come in with swords and you know fire and going to make sure that Justice reigned from now on. And Peter was down for that kind of kingdom. Peter was all about helping Jesus out with the sword. That's what he expected. And so in our passage tonight, Peter says to Jesus, as Jesus is telling his disciples, look, the plan, guys, is for me to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to arrest me, and they're going to whip me, and I'm going to bleed, and I'm going to die. That's the plan. Peter says, what are you talking about? That's the plan. It's the stupidest plan I've ever heard of in my life. No, that's not the plan. I, that will never happen to you, Jesus. I love the fact that it says in the text that he rebuked the Lord. I love that. I love the chutzpah here of Peter. Like, hey, 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 God, hold on. Shh, shh. Hey, just shh. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And what's Jesus' response to his misplaced goals and aspirations? Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see that? Peter's vision had become an idol. His dreams had become an idol. Now you say, well, how can I know my dream is becoming an idol? <laughs> well, 
Here's a couple things that I think inevitably take place when your dream becomes an idol. The first thing happens if we don't end up accomplishing our dreams, okay? So this thing inevitably happens if you don't end up accomplishing what you hope for. If your dream has become an idol, then when you don't get what you were striving for, what you're working so hard for, you'll get so despondent that you'll feel like there's nothing left to live for at all. And for some, this is quite literally the case. This, this is why every time there's a major crash on Wall Street, every time that we see stocks fall in sort of a dramatic way, it's not long after that you hear of an increase in suicide in the financial world. Why? Because most likely they made money in the pursuit of it. They're idle, and now that it's gone, they have nothing left to live for. Now here's the thing. Anything can become your idol. Even great things, good things can become idols to you. So if your goal in life is to be the best parent of the best children ever, watch out. As good as that might be, your kids can become an idol. Your parenting can become an idol. Your career, which might be a wonderful career, can become an idol. Anything is capable of having that status with us. And here's the problem. If you don't get it, if you don't get everything you ever dreamt of, it'll beat you down. It'll kill you. That's what idols do. Idols always overpromise and never deliver. Idols always overpromise and never deliver. They always have the carrot on the string in front of you, and you're always trying to go after it. Meanwhile, you're killing yourself in the process. But then there's the other possibility that might actually, in some cases, be worse, and that is you actually do accomplish your dreams and find out that they don't satisfy the way you thought they would. The stories of celebrities and wealthy people that testify to this are endless. One of my favorite examples of this is Jim Carrey. I've shared this before, but Jim Carrey saying in a graduation speech, I wish every one of you could become rich and famous someday so you'll see that it's not the answer. And a graduation speech, man? Come on. Let him hope a little longer. Come on, Jim. I'm a bummer. Or consider, consider this. Billy Bob Harrell, that was his name, in 1997, was a Home Depot stalker. Won the lottery. $31 million in Texas. $1.24 million per year for the rest of his life. Can you imagine how happy he was when he won that lottery? Imagine how excited he was? He bought himself a bunch of houses, he bought himself a ranch, bought himself a bunch of cars. And yet, he quickly became overwhelmed by it because what happened? All Billy Bob's friends started coming to him asking for money and he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to say no. He kept on handing out money to everybody and and it stressed him out beyond belief, and he started losing money. Within two years, he was divorced. And shortly before he ended his life, he said, winning the lottery is the worst thing that ever happened to me. The same can be true of fame is your goal. Cynthia Heimel in the late 80s said, the minute someone becomes a celebrity is the minute they become a monster. She then gave the names of some big stars she used to know before they became big and said they had been once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now they have become supreme beings and their wrath is awful. 
So you get the point. You get the point here. There's a goodness to our dreams, but there's a danger to our dreams. So going back to the beginning, you sitting here tonight are probably on one side of the scale or the other. Maybe you're still on, on the upswing and you're pursuing your dreams. Good. You're pursuing, you're working hard towards your goals. Good. Maybe some of you are sitting here tonight and have done that and are on the downside and are wondering if there's any hope left for you at all. And this is why we need, finally, the true God of heaven and earth over our, over our dreams. Just, Jesus concludes our passage this, this way. Um, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What he's saying to us is the principle behind his kingdom is ultimately recognizing that our life, our plans, our dreams, our aspirations are not what determines life for us. But he is the one that determines life for us. Because here's the deal. If your goals don't come true or they haven't come true or you feel like your life has become basically a mess, you need to know here today it's going to be okay. Like really, you need to know it's going to be okay. You need to remember that ultimately your identity, your value to the world isn't based on your accomplishments. As much as the world wants to shove that down your throat, as much as they want to tell you that that's all you are, that what you do is all you are, the Bible comes in and says, no, your worth and your value is based on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. And based on what he's accomplished for you through his perfect life and his death and resurrection, you are declared to be a perfect, spotless, wonderful child of God, loved for all eternity, promised a dream in his heavenly kingdom that you can barely even begin to fathom right now. You can't begin to imagine what he has planned for the rest of your life. And you need to know that. I have a friend who has dealt with depression for years and years and years. And it's, it's gone up and down. And there's been times where he's had to check himself into a mental hospital because he's had suicidal ideations and he's... He can't handle it. And he has to, and he, thank God, he checks himself in there and goes there for a week or two. And he hosts this podcast. And at the end of the podcast, every week, they close with the, long, with the line, everything is going to be okay. Every week. And one week, one week, he had checked himself into the hospital because of his depression and suicidal ideations and yet, through tears, he was speaking through a payphone that recorded his voice through a payphone that he had made to call in to the show just to say something. Even through tears at the end, he said, I want everyone to know that one day everything is going to be okay. So wherever you're at right now, if, if, the, if life is not giving you what you hoped it would, you need to know it's going to be okay. 
It is. It's not just a cliche. It's not just something people say to make you feel good in the moment. It will. One day. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know. But one day it will be okay. It will. The fact is, he knows what's best for you. Your God knows. And though it's hard to see sometimes, he knows what you need better than you do. Tim Keller has this handy little phrase I like to quote. He says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. I'll say it again. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. So if God hasn't answered your prayer, hasn't given you your dream, hasn't given you your aspiration, it could be because God knows it's not, not the best thing for you. He's got something else. I see illustrations of this all the time with my kids. I mean like every single day with them, not understanding why I as their father won't do something for them that they want me to do. For example, my two older boys cannot fathom why in the world I would not want to get them an iPhone 8 or for that matter an iPhone X right now. Why wouldn't you want to do that for me, father? And I'll say, well, I don't want you to become an addict. I don't want you to lose your mind on the phone like your father already has. I don't want you to get into the world of, sucked into the world of social media and everything. Like, it will take over your soul, son. It will take over your brain. Let's give it at least another year before I give you away. Come on, Dad. Every one of my friends has a smartphone. Yeah, I know. I know. No. No. Or Lincoln. Lincoln never understands why it, it isn't perfectly fine to have a diet of nothing but chocolate chip cookies from morning till night. He doesn't understand this. He doesn't understand why I won't give him what he wants. But I know, I know what's good for my kids. When I was 19, I knew I was called to be a pastor. I knew it. I, was, I knew I had the sense that I was called to be a pastor. I told people, God's called me to be a pastor. Other people said, I think God's called you to be a pastor too, Eric. I said, all right, well, great, let's do it. They said, well, you know, you've got to go to school and get your Master of Divinity degree. And I said, well, I just started college and I don't really like it. Like at all. So how about we just fast track this bad boy and you get me up into the pulpit now? And uh, they're like, uh, uh, yeah, that's nice. No, let's just hold on. Well, about a year after I knew I was called to the ministry at the church I was serving. I mean, I was just serving as a volunteer there. A pastoral position opened up. And I thought, hey, I know I'm called to do this. And so I went to them and I was like, about it. And they said, <laughs> no, no. And I was so frustrated. I really was. I was so disappointed. I was like, I've got, I'm cold. I can do this. Do you know how happy I am today that God did not allow me to do that? Do you know how many people I would have hurt through my arrogance and stupidity as a pastor then? I'm not saying it's impossible for somebody that age to be a pastor. I'm saying it was not possible for me to be a pastor then. But I thought it was. I thought I knew best. God knew better. God knows better than me. On the other hand, if your dreams are beginning to come true or have come true in some way, then remember this. Remember to give praise where praise is due for that gift. Ultimately, your Heavenly Father loves to give you good gifts, and He does give you good gifts. And so if He's giving you that, He's doing it because He knows it will bless you. Often in spite of you, He'll do it for you. It's His pleasure, the Bible says, to give good gifts. And when He does, He simply asks that we acknowledge that it's Him who gave it to us and give Him thanks. 
So with that in mind, let me close with a story to try and wrap it all up about someone whose dream didn't come true in the way he imagined, but in the end got something, I think, vastly better. In the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, there was a runner named Derek Redmond who was favored to win the 400 meters. But, uh, but sadly, uh, about 250 meters from the finish line, his hamstring just tore. And you can see, you can go look at this on YouTube. I mean, he just, he stops in, in his tracks. He can't move. And he was, I mean, he was the favored guy. And the crowd was, of course, shocked and saddened when they saw that this winner was hunched over on one knee, crying in the middle of the track. His goal had, that he had worked so hard for him, and they trained for years for this one moment, track meet after track meet after track meet, all for this dream of standing on the podium with the gold medal. And now there is literally no way he's going to win. There's no chance at all. He kneels there for a minute. And then as trainers were coming over to tend to his needs, he hopped up on one leg and began hopping on one foot toward the finish line. But he's obviously in so much pain. He is grimacing. and I mean, there's just tears coming down his face from the pain that he's feeling. But he just wanted to make it to the finish line. But it was clear that he just wasn't going to make it on his own. And so trainers are trying to stop him. They're trying to, to prevent him from going on because it's clear he's in so much pain. When out of the blue, a large man runs from behind him. Large man wearing a hat, baseball hat, short gym shorts, and a t-shirt runs behind him and gets in the way of the trainers, pushing them out of the way, and puts his arm around Redmond. It was his father. Jim Redmond grabbed his arm, hoisted it around his shoulder, and said, We're finishing this together. By that time, the son was leaning on his father to even walk. Literally, as the whole time he's walking, he is crying in his father's shoulder while his dad eventually leaned him across the finish line. And that is the truth for you tonight, no matter where you're at in this journey, whether you're in full pursuit of your dreams or whether you're seeing some of those dreams that you once had die, your father's going to get you past the finish line. And that is going to be enough for you. No matter how the course looks on the way there, your father promises to bring you to the finish line. And that'll be enough. Let's pray. Father, oh God, I, help, I, I hope and I pray that you would help us to submit our dreams and our aspirations and our goals to you. God, so often the things that we think look right and look promising and look like they should be are not. So help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name to submit our lives and our goals and our plans and our aspirations to you so that your aspirations for our lives would be what ultimately come to pass. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.